I'm not working this weekend, Jerry. Lucy! Every day I go and I sit in a booth like a veal. I, I work every holiday. I go home to a cat. For Lucy, loneliness was a way of life. Joe Jr.'s still single. Yeah, it's shocker. But the moment she saw Peter, she became a believer in love at first sight. He was perfect. Then fate stepped in. Oh! Mister, there's a train coming! Oh, God, you smell good. Like, we were those <laughs> kinds of kids. We weren't the hang out outside and play sports kids or, like, run through the sprinklers kids. We were okay, mischievous people. You're saying you're saying that like you were assuming I was a hang outside and play sports kid. <laughs> kind of. I can see you being like really into I don't know badminton or <laughs> uh, I don't know. You seem like you not like you're not like a snowboarder, but you'd like be really into snowshoeing. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, they're like sports where you don't have to be athletic or interesting. Like to be an, good at them. an alternative sport. Yeah. Uh, well, not even that, no. Um, it's mainly reading. Uh, nice. And, uh, you know, getting all the getting all the patches from my library uh, for, you know, doing the library summer reading. That's uh, cute. They gave you patches? Yeah, little patches. You could sew them on your backpack or whatever. That's sweet. It was. It, is it kind of like the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts where it has, like, a, a yeah. type, a category? Yeah, so if you read, like, if you read, like, an adventure book, there'd be, like, a little pith helmet or something Oh, there. that's if, cute! If you read a mystery, it'd have, like, a little magnifying glass. It was, it was very sweet. That's so sweet. What's the equivalent of that these days? Is that just having, like, an Instagram highlight with, like, a picture of what that would look like? Yeah, it's like, it's like, um... I don't even think this exists anymore, but it's, like, Foursquare, right? Where you, like, become the mayor of a place. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Yes. You check in uh, enough times. I know there's also Facebook top fans. Like if you comment on, you know, Lady Gaga's page a lot, <laughs> you get a little diamond and you're a top fan. I guess that's kind of yeah. the same thing. I was, I got that. I don't know if I got, no, I did. I got top fan for The Onion. Which... <laughs> Why are you a cliche, bud? <laughs> Which I don't, I don't know why. I, I, honestly, that was like when I was like, maybe I should be taking Facebook off my phone. <laughs> Sometimes I wanna take the car out on the road, flip it into park and smash myself. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Should Have Known Better. It's the season two finale. We are celebrating comedy that has aged very poorly. I'm Tony Ginocchio, and hosting this podcast, as always with me, just just a, a person whose friendship I treasure oh. and value a great deal, and every time I talk to her, it reminds me of the first time I saw a Trans Am. Oh, oh. it's Nadia Vasquez. What's up? That was very sweet. The Trans Am thing, I don't get. Are you doing well, the Dice Clay thing? I'm doing a Joe Jr. thing. Oh. And, <laughs> and uh, Joe Jr. specifically says to Bill Pullman in our selection today, I've seen the way you look at her. It's like the first time I saw a Trans Am. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Because yeah. I remember every single thing I watched this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so we uh, look, folks. Looking back on the just the 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 Nickelodeon of films that we have watched over the past fourteen weeks. Beautiful use we, of Nickelodeon. Thank you. We have had some just unbearably bad viewing experiences yes we did some that are unforgivable some that are unforgivable uh we had what men want uh which neither of us enjoyed we had i now pronounce you chuck and larry which i really hated we had there's something about mary which nadia really hated we had the jeff dunham quarantine youtube videos which we both loved yeah (laughs) Uh uh-huh uh, but as we got to the end of the season, we were like, we need to we need to watch one thing that's like actually pleasant. Yes, and <laughs> I, I greatly appreciate that. This this has solidified our friendship <laughs> because it was really on thin ice for after there's something about Mary episode. Um. So. Uh, and and our selection today is a rom-com, and, and it's one of my favorite genres of film, which is film that was very, very successful at the box office that everyone has since completely forgotten about. That's <laughs> uh, true. And that is the, uh, the Sandy B rom-com, While You Were Sleeping, from 1995, directed by John Turtletaub, and currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Quick question. Do you think there are other uh actresses whose rom-coms completely disappear as much as sandra bullocks (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking as i watched this i'm like next season we have to do the proposal because the proposal is so stupid i've never seen it oh it's so the it's one of those where the script is unbelievably bad but you have two great two great actors and ryan reynolds and sandra bullock that are just working so hard <laughs> to try to make it work and it just does not oh work. when they're working so hard that you can see the acting and then they have to bring yeah. in all of those like special guest actors yes yeah okay yes okay yeah well that's the one betty white's uh oh betty white's in, in and and again we shouldn't be talking about the proposal too much in this episode <laughs> but the proposal and specifically betty white home to one of the most insane scenes uh, I've ever seen in a comedy just just baffling to me that it made the cut um, but but we're not here to talk about the proposal we're no. here to go a little earlier in Sandra Bullock's career to a rom-com that as Nadia said everyone forgot because uh because look but for what reason because it's not a bad movie and I personally have seen it many times it's not uh, th- like we said we wanted a pleasant viewing experience. Right. This is pleasant. Yes. It's definitely pleasant. Yes. The story is so fucking strange. <laughs> it's no you've got mail for sure. Yeah. So if if I may take a swing at the plot summary, Nadia. Please do because I <laughs> wouldn't even know where to begin. Sandra Bullock plays Lucy, a woman with a level of personal loneliness <laughs> that borders on paranoid schizophrenia. <laughs> it's really sad. She works as uh, a booth attendant for the Chicago Transit Authority, hey baby. Yo, hey, yo, CTA, Superdog, Go Charter Cubs. Franchise of the NFL. Go Cubs! Uh, yeah. Uh, la- in the two episodes ago, Nadia called them the Chicago Cubs. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. So I love to ta- be reminded of my foibles. <laughs> she takes uh, tokens at the Randolph and Wabash L-Stop uh, and pines after Peter Gallagher. 
his giant eyebrows. We uh, all I, pine over Peter Gallagher in this movie. He's been in a lot of things recently where he's looking a little older, Grace and Frankie being one of them. But when he's, he's, in, uh, he's a good looking no, guy. I'm, I'm confusing him with uh, Dylan McDermott, who he looks like. But uh, uh-huh. like, he, <laughs> Who looks like I'm Dermot like, Mul- Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney, that's who I'm thinking of, not <laughs> Dylan McDermott. Shit. <laughs> Why are these people named the same? They're all named the same. Uh, uh, I was going to say he's a new girl, but he's not. That's Dermot Mulroney. Um, yeah. But she pines after Peter Gallagher, a giant eyebrowed handsome man Ooh. who uh, who shows up at the Randolph and Wabash station every day. Uh, she never talks to him. He is mugged and shoved onto the tracks uh, early on in the film and knocked unconscious. She runs onto the tracks and saves his life, pushes him off of the tracks, uh, before the orange line to Midway can hit him. The specifics of the train and the train station is not at all in the film. This is all what you are adding to it, by the way. Look, look, this film and Risky Business both prominently feature the CTA L trains. <laughs> got it, got it. I, and I had to do my research. Listen, we have to do a movie that sets, that's set in San Jose, California, because I'll know <laughs> all the streets there. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, so he ends up uh, hospitalized in a coma, and his family rushes to his side. And he's got one of these big, loud families you see in the movies. They're always in each other's lives. You, you very rarely see any individual member of the family apart. Peter Boyle uh, is his dad, legendary comedic actor from Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, and uh, through, a, through a series of misunderstandings... Um, Lucy uh, does not identify herself as I'm the CTA worker who saw him uh, at the station and pushed him out of the way of the train. Uh, She says, oh, uh, we're engaged to be married. Right. Uh, And and the family, while surprised by this, immediately adopts Lucy and says, well, you got to come to dinner with us. This movie's set on Christmas, <laughs> um, even though it came out in April. Uh, <laughs> you got to come to dinner with us. Uh, you got to. She basically has a family for the first time uh, in a long time and, and really feels taken in by them, but also starts to get super wet for <laughs> uh, Coma Guy's brother, who is played by Bill Pullman. Uh, Jack is, is the brother's name. Bill Pullman and- in the peak of his hair. Oh, he looks great. Wow. He looks great. What a a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. (laughs) But she has to keep up this charade that she's engaged to the guy in the coma, which, uh, in case you, the listener, haven't seen this movie and are wondering in your head, I wonder how far she's going to let this go. (laughs) (laughs) You've undershot it because she lets it go pretty far to the end really <laughs> really really to a wedding ceremony mm-hmm. uh and so um it's you know a very light-hearted rom-com it's rated pg like it's it's a family film um and so there's no fuck words there's n- there's no boning like it's it's actually just a very sort of like i said pleasant viewing experience that does not take us away from the fact that it's about a woman who lied about being engaged to a man with coma and then fell for his brother. Right. And where everybody is okay with that. Everybody's just fine with it. (laughs) It ends with everybody just being fine with it. They're happy. (laughs) What a great movie. I was really... I obviously I'm not surprised because I've seen it so many times, but I was very satisfied that we are ending on a positive note, (laughs) though we will rip this to shreds. 
Oh yeah, there's so much. <laughs> there's so much in here. There's just again, and I don't know why it keeps coming up, but just foul, foul racism against Italian Americans in this movie. <laughs> um, uh, but but before we get into the details of the film. Um, it's another year I don't think we've done before, Nadia, and that's 1995. That is correct, my friend. This is the year of Apollo 13. Mm. This was a really big year for pop culture, I gotta say. Um, the first thing that I always like to talk, talk to us about are the hits. The musical hits, so we can get into the mindset for when this movie was made. Uh, we have TLC's Creep at the top of the charts which is a personal favorite of mine. Madonna's okay. Take a Bow from A League of Their Own. Uh, Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It, which I still play <laughs> to pump myself up before any kind of event in the car. Uh, Brian Adams' Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? And mm. guess what? TLC is back because they also had waterfalls <laughs> out that year. Most importantly, though, and the song I think that changed most of our lives is uh, Seal's Kiss from a Rose came out that year. Uh, made made popular because it was on the soundtrack of Batman Forever, I believe. That is very much <laughs> correct. Um, I was fascinated by... I, I check in a website called popculture.us to find a lot of information. I was fascinated because this particular year has the greatest quotes that I think we still hear today and people reference, especially if they're older, like me. Uh, obviously, Houston, we have a problem from Apollo mm-hmm. 13. No soup for you from the Soup Nazi episode of Seinfeld. Classic. This is also that guy's on cameo, by the way. Are you kidding? <laughs> no. <That's- laughs> they 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 bought a cameo from him on Doughboys uh, at one point. Wow, that is amazing. That is incredible. I. I used to go to the Soup Nazi restaurant in New York City. It's right by... The real one? Yes, it's right by the NYU campus. And they always had the best soups and a different soup every day. It was like a variety of soups. I loved it. Uh, So every time I would go there, I would say this. So I love this quote. Um, If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Because this Mm. was a huge year for the (laughs) O.J. Simpson murder trial. I don't know if you all remember around this time... Anybody who was, at, even at work, was watching this trial. I, I was in fucking third grade, I heard the verdict. You know, the one thing that I do remember is I had chicken pox this, this year, and my mom <laughs> let me stay up to watch David Letterman up until the top ten. And one of the top tens was things you hear in during the O.J. Simpson trial in the courtroom. And the thing that made me laugh the most, I think I was in kindergarten, was the phrase, I'm Ito and you're Nito. <laughs> I loved it. It was so good. Um, this was the year that Leonard Nimoy published an autobiography called I Am Not Spock because he was tired of people calling him that. Yeah, and then he went on to play Spock in like 20 more movies. So calm down, Leonard <laughs> Nimoy. Um, interestingly, Newsweek published an article that year scoffing the future of the internet. It said that it had a lot of doubt that people would use the internet to get the news or to learn or to buy airline tickets online. Um, The article is actually still available on their website that you can actually read it. It's very funny and very (laughs) ironic. Um, But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame also opened in 1995. I didn't realize 1995 was so long ago in the scheme of things. Mm -hmm. It feels like it was just yesterday. But uh, Jules' Pieces of You album came out that year. And that makes me feel really old. 
Um, Dolly the clone, the sheep, was born on July 5th of that year and lived for seven years. And then we never brought up Dolly a lot. I think we brought up the year that she died. (laughs) Oh. But well, the, rest in peace, Dolly. And and we also brought up the fact that we never heard about any kind of cloning after that. <laughs> uh, the X Games. This was the first year of the X Games being broadcast oh, okay. on ESPN. There was a lot of stuff that happened. But um, overall, though, the biggest thing that happened that year were the movies. There were a lot of really important movies and TV shows out. Uh, this was the year that ER was at its most popular uh Mm -hmm. seinfeld was number two followed by friends followed by caroline in the city only then followed by monday night football so the ladies really showed up (laughs) uh popular movies that year were number one toy story that long ago Mm -hmm. batman forever as we know from seals kiss from a rose being on the, the radio waves apollo 13 and my personal favorite pocahontas and Mm -hmm. tony ace ventura Ventura when when nature nature calls calls. (laughs) (laughs) oh man maybe we'll do that i don't know i refused to do the second one but i feel like we need to still the peak of the carry sans at that point um toy story uh obviously you know the very first one and like all the toy story films uh will continue to remind you of your own impending death (laughs) and the inexorable passage of time toy story is interesting uh because uh it was an oscar nominee for best screenplay and one of the uh credited screenwriters on that film is joss whedon of all people you're kidding I'm not. And wow. if you think about it, 1995 is two years before Buffy started. Wow. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, Ugh, and then anyways. we never got rid of him after he wrote And a, then And now Marvel there's movie. too much. There's too much. Oh, my God. Marvel movies don't have to be funny. <laughs> there's, there's too much of him. Uh, Dollhouse was really good, though. Yes. Anyways, yes. Oh, uh, wait. We have to talk about this. I am very upset that Dollhouse did not get a second season. It did get a second season. It ran for two seasons. Are you fucking kidding me? Did I just not watch it? <laughs> okay, well, never mind. Never mind. Do you want to borrow? I have the DVDs. You want me to mail them to you? Yes. <laughs> that would be amazing. I, I took a little bit of a break that year, I think, from being a human being. <laughs> Most likely. Like a dollhouse. Um, like a, Yes. Have your personality wiped, and then rich people uh, uploaded different personalities into you. I feel like that uh, happens every time I watch a new show. It's like I absorb the personality of my favorite character for like a couple of days, and then people are like, are you okay? And then I remember who I am. <laughs> yeah, uh, but they did do a second season, and he did, like, he when he made it, like, he knew he wasn't getting to season three, so, like, mm. he, he did actually, like, make an effort to wrap the story up. Oh, that's great. That's awesome, because yeah. that doesn't really happen with his shows. No. <laughs> I feel, no. and, and I, I don't want to be... I don't want to start any controversy among the Buffy fans, but I do feel like Buffy ran for maybe one season too long. Uh, yes. To, so it's interesting because, like, and I think we should go into this uh, <laughs> right now. Yes. Um, so, but, so as I'm sure you know, after – so spoilers if you haven't seen Buffy. In the end of season five, Buffy dies. Right. Um, Buffy was on for seven years. <laughs> the end of season five, Buffy dies um, because – wb canceled the show so he kills off buffy at the end of the season um but then upn picked it up right um so the last two seasons are on <clears throat> upn so he has to resurrect buffy 
uh, in the first episode of season six. Now, I love season six. Season six is so good. I love it. It is my favorite of the seasons. I think seven is really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really weird. I think a lot of it is just Buffy standing around giving speeches. Yes, agreed. Uh, I don't think you have as good a bad guy yeah. um, as you do in some of the other seasons. Um, I don't get willow hooking up with another girl um so soon after tara's death yeah uh that's, i mean that's everybody... that's the main personal reason why yeah I don't everybody, every, everybody grieves differently right but uh <laughs> and i got a shame uh what was the girl's name Mackenzie or whatever um yeah but uh there's a couple episodes in there that are good like conversations with dead people is in that season and that's a good episode and, and um there's a couple other good ones but yeah season seven doesn't land oh amends i think is a really good one um Season seven doesn't quite land the same for me. Six, yeah. maybe my six, favorite of the bunch. Six is great because it, you're dealing with the aftermath of being dead and then coming back and actually preferring getting, pull, getting pulled from heaven. Yeah, and preferring to, to be dead and being and preferring to be somewhere else, and you're stuck in this hell, which is oh so beautiful, so poetic, it's so beautiful. I loved Just it. The whole, the relationship with Spike, just all of that. Oh my god, just... I didn't like that relationship until that season. Yeah. And I was just like, it, wow, just, oh. it was just beautiful. It was really great. Guys, watch season six of Buffy. <laughs> but my favorite baddie from all of Buffy is when Angel turns bad. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. Obviously. That, that's the best one. I, I didn't have cable for a really long time. We had just the basic channels, so I didn't have... I think when they moved to UPN, I started to watch it, but I didn't have that channel, so I went to the library and I read the novelized versions of each episode. <laughs> so that's how I got to know Buffy. And so when I started watching it, it was actually much scarier than the books for sure. Yeah, well, there's the timing is different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. But uh, I have a really deep place in my heart, and if if you are Buffy fans, the uh, graphic novels that or the comic books that come out after. It continues the story in graphic. Yeah, like the form. season eight. Um, oh, it's great. Comic and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, those are really great. Shout out to Maro for recommending those to me. Um, but this isn't about Buffy. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, can it be though? Oh, um, we should definitely no. do a Buffy episode. Guys, we've talked about the proposal. We've talked about Buffy. We should talk about while you were sleeping because it made one hundred and eighty-two million dollars worldwide. <laughs> Was it such an underwhelming office. movie to us that we'd rather talk about anything else? Uh, 182 million dollars, which means basically everybody saw it. Yep. Um, 182 million in 1995 dollars, also, uh, which is the same amount of money I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry would make 12 years later. Wow. Um, this is Sandra Bullock after she did Speed. Like, so I have no idea how she's picking movies in her career. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so. you gotta find a niche, right? So everyone liked that she was in like a ro- romance with Keanu Reeves because who wouldn't want to be in a romance with Keanu <laughs> Reeves? But I think re- at this point, this was the rom-com renaissance. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. everybody had to do the rom-com. Yeah. And so this, this was the, the one she chose. This is the one she picked. 16th highest grossing film of the year. Wow. Which is nuts. Um, she was a Golden Globe nominee for Best Actress. Um, the director, John Turtletaub, he's directed, like, a, a, a few different rom-coms, but the thing he's directed that's actually been the most successful would come out 10 years after this, a little movie called National Treasure. What? Uh, yeah. Wow. That's, that's so off. Yeah. 
That's not if you watch this movie and then you watch National Treasure, you're not gonna walk away being like, Oh yeah, that was definitely the same guy. <laughs> who this made makes me want to watch the National Treasure though. That is a great Na- movie. National Treasure, and again, I'll spend fifteen minutes on this too. National Treasure is pretty good. It is incredible. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie. It I I've seen it multiple times and every time I'm surprised by something. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> Uh, but um, before we get into the details of the film, I'm looking at our Google Doc now, <laughs> and it it seems as though you've added a Roman numeral here that says the dangers of rom coms. I I ne- I think we need to talk about this. We <laughs> I have a special place in my heart for rom coms, but I personally am still unraveling what they have done to my brain <laughs> when it comes to romance relationships. Uh, expectations of other people in my life not even just relationships in in the romantic sense but family friends all that good stuff I think and family big part of this film absolutely big part of this film so I wanted to take a little bit of time to point out something psychologically that I saw in the movie pardon that I feel like is normalized by the kookiness and the romance of the film but pointing out that it's actually not okay, this behavior. Um, the first thing is, well, I first want to say that I'm really happy that we're doing a movie that we both like and <laughs> that is good. It's generally a good movie. However, like I said, I think there are a lot of unhealthy messages that are being portrayed. Um, I think this movie, possibly inadvertently, maybe not, glorifies codependence. Um <laughs> And for those of you who aren't familiar with codependence, uh, I'm going to define it for you. I'm not trying to call anybody out and I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad because I personally have codependent tendencies myself. But I think in this movie, it is praised. So I would like to call out what it is so that we can talk about it when it comes up. But the first thing is codependency looks like feeling responsible for the emotional well-being of others. We see that quite a lot in the film. Uh, Saying yes when you actually want to say no so that you don't Mm -hmm. upset the other person. Also seen in the film. So, for example, can I just offer an example of this? Absolutely. If someone asks, hey, are you engaged to this man who's in a coma? (laughs) And you're not. You want to say no, but you say yes. That would be an example. That would be an example because she doesn't want to upset the grandmother because they mentioned she has a heart problem yeah they mentioned it like eight times yeah this is we gotta plug this plot hole guys exactly the grandmother from superstar also which i loved i love (laughs) i love that actress she's so funny um the third thing is you constantly feel like you're being taken for granted or you're resentful for giving more than you receive uh i don't know who in particular in this movie falls into that category but it is something that falls within codependency uh, number four is unconsciously wanting to be- control the behaviors of others. You see this in a lot of people in this movie. That is not something that is normal and should be a thing. Try not to control people's lives. Five is having no boundaries. We definitely see that here. Um, and also the last thing is approval or validation seeking by any means necessary, which we see here. Yeah, we see a little bit of that here, I would say. Yeah, so besides codependence, I also want to point out that this movie uh, shows something called enmeshment and makes it seem like it's okay. So for those of you who aren't super familiar, enmeshment, and I'm not a psychologist. I just want to let you guys know. I'm not a psychologist, but 
I am unraveling a lot of things in my personal life that I'm noticing here. So I'm just pointing things out so that, you know, you can see that some behaviors are not okay that rom-coms say are. You know, this is all for a reason, I promise. Uh, she's, she's not a psychologist, but she is an expert in rom-coms. And <laughs> she's, a, she's a better person than I am. So. <laughs> That's I'm going to listen to her advice. That's very sweet. Um, this part uh, might be a little, it might sting for some people who feel like they have close families. So I'm not trying to call you out on your families, people. I'm just calling out something called enmeshment, which is a description of a relationship between two or more people in which personal boundaries are permeable and unclear. And that is a really big theme in this movie. Yeah. So if you think about this movie, or if you also think about um, the highest grossing rom-com of all time, which is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes! Uh, and that's not a joke. Yes, it's the highest it's grossing true. rom-com of that's all time. That's true. Or if you think about one of her uh, previous selections, Bride and Prejudice, uh, which obviously was uh, a very different family in terms of their cultural background, and also they lived in India. Um, but those are, all, those are all films where, like, one of the recurring... Uh, jokes which is mostly played for comedy and sweetness is these people are in each other's lives all the time exactly uh i personally think that that's pretty damaging because then that means that if you personally want to have boundaries with your own family you feel like that's abnormal because everyone else on tv and film acts like this Hmm. Uh, so i just wanted to call that out but just to get a little bit more detail on enmeshment um, it's pretty heartbreaking because um, there are certain criteria that fall within this definition. And one is the child feels responsible for the emotional well-being of the parent or guardian. So if one person in the family becomes activated, everyone else becomes activated. This is totally in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. There is groupthink as a part of the family. So it's like, we do this and we do that. And if you step out of that, it's questionable. Um, the adult emotionally dumps on the child or guilts them in some indirect or direct way, which I think everybody experiences that in some shape or form or another. Like, that's totally fine. But this is like one of those things where it's like, if you have six out of seven, you know, you got a problem. Uh, So the other things are the parent teaches codependency by not encouraging the independence of an adult child, which we see in Bill Pullman's character. This is teaching the child that going against what is expected of them may bring conflict within the family as a whole. So in adulthood, the child makes decisions based on the parent's opinions and fear of disagreement. And lastly, enmeshment includes over-involvement in each other's relationships, activities, and achievements. So we have a plethora of things that I think are pretty damaging to consider normal as a part of this thing for comedy's sake. I'm not trying to be super serious about this is a rom-com. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of things had to change because the studio wanted it to be a certain way. But I encourage everyone who watches rom-coms, especially older ones, to look at things with a critical eye and know that certain behaviors are not okay to apply to your real life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's great. I think that's great. But now we come to um, my part of the podcast, which is where we talk about Chicago, baby. Hey, We got, we, folks, we got the CTA. We got Soldier Field. We got dibs on a parking spot. <laughs> we got Superdog. We got the Museum of Science and Industry. We, I'm just naming things now. Like these aren't <laughs> <laughs> We got the bean. We got the bean. Well, bean's not built when this movie came out. Oh. Uh, 
we got we this is a pre bean Chicago. <laughs> pre bean. <laughs> you could also call it a pre bean Chicago because I hadn't visited yet. Yes. <laughs> there's uh there's uh you got your Goose Island probably is in here. You got your uh, back then it would have been called Comiskey Park, uh, where the White Sox played. Uh, but but basically you have all these establishing shots of Chicago to open the film. Uh, you got a lot of narration, yes. which is usually a bad sign. <laughs> we only hear it once, though. It's okay. Or maybe twice, we, we, one at the end. We hear it at the very beginning and at the very end. So I think that's an acceptable amount of narration. Um, we hear, But I also think Sandra Bullock is affecting a Chicago accent. <laughs> Does she try uh, to have a Chicago accent? I think so, yes. Oh, I didn't even notice. I don't especially, think it was that good. <laughs> especially uh, early in the film. Um, I have here, so early on, she falls for Peter Gallagher, who goes through the turnstile, goes through her turnstile on his commute, and then I wrote in parentheses, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, uh, won't introduce herself, but pines after him, and basically what we learn about Lucy, the Sandra Bullock character, is she's overworked, and she has a cat, and she's very, very lonely. <laughs> right, because everyone who's lonely has a cat. Yeah, which is come on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the other the other thing is we learned that Lucy's mom passed away when she was very little and so she was raised by her dad who wasn't super well off but encouraged her to go see the world. Um there is a a symbol here uh <laughs> which is travel and the mom literally gave him the world which was just a a globe lantern that we Mm -hmm. see throughout the movie. It moves around her apartment for specific (laughs) scenes so that you can see the symbolism, I guess. I don't know. It was very heavy-handed. This was before National Treasure. Uh, But (laughs) but, uh, in in reality, the goal for Lucy is to get a stamp on her passport. That's all she wants. She wants to... She's been stuck... I mean, basically, and we'll learn her backstory later, but basically her, her father has since passed away, and when he was sick, she dropped out of school and started working for the CTA as a train operator, and, like, that's a good job, and you can pay your rent with it, but, like, she's not going to see the world or nothing, right? Right. So she's just kind of thinking about the life she could have had. She'll see the one line she works on. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, she I mean, she works at the Randolph and Wabash station, which is a loop stop, so there's like five different lines. Oh there. my it doesn't god. Matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um the other the other thing that happens early in the film and it happens a couple times throughout, um which kind of made me laugh is when she meets with her boss who she just meets with him outside. Yeah. <laughs> just like on the street. At the hot dog um, cart. At the hot dog cart by the Well Street Bridge, baby. Hey yo. Um, and, uh, I'm not even from Chicago. I'm just getting pumped up every time you yeah. talk about it. But uh, it might it might be the Jackson Street Bridge. Anyways, <laughs> the point is, um, she's overworked. She's got to work Christmas because all of her other coworkers have families. Um, it's such a sad scene because he's trying is. to give her so many other reasons, and then at the end he's like, "Well, it's really because you don't have a family." Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Uh-uh. So wait, can we take a, a, a detour really quick? And can you yeah. tell me about the Chicago hot dog? Why did they put a pickle on the hot dog? So look, there's all sorts of I, I don't know the history of the Chicago hot dog. Okay. The best one, in my opinion, is Super Dog at Devon in Milwaukee on the northwest side. Uh, there's some there's some <laughs> other good ones out there, but like 
the, the, there's kind of a key set of toppings. It, <clears throat> hot dogs steamed, right? It's not grilled. Oh, it's poppy, okay. Yeah, it's a poppy seed bun. Uh, you got your your uh, neon green relish, very distinctive look. You got some onions, you got some mustard, you got some celery salt, uh, you got some uh, uh, you got some tomato. Um, and, Whoa, that's and, a huge uh, hot dog! It sounds yeah, like, like got a sandwich. A, you got a little uh, you got a little pepper on there. Got a little jar near pepper on there, oh, and geez. then you got uh, you're getting you got so pickle. Chicago. Your accent is getting so <laughs> hardcore right now. You got a whole you got a whole ass pickle spear on there too. And the one thing you're not going to have on there is ketchup. Yeah, fuck ketchup. I don't know I don't know uh, where that came from. If if you ask for a hot dog with everything, it's not going to have ketchup on it. Wow. Now, if you go to Superdog, if you go to Superdog, they're going to leave you a little thing of ketchup and that's ostensibly for your fries. But if you sneak one onto your dog, nobody's going to like nobody's going to like slap the ketchup out of you. Okay, dog. that's good to know. That's good to know. I personally <laughs> don't like ketchup, so I won't have this problem. Yeah, so I would say uh, Superdog uh, at the bottom of Milwaukee. There's another one in Wheeling, I think. And then for your best beef, you want to go to Johnny's uh, in Elmwood Heights or Arlington Heights. Quick question. Uh, Is a Chicago dog as popular or equal, or like not as popular, as a potbelly sandwich? I would say it's it's bigger than a potbelly sandwich. Okay, okay, okay. I, I only know of, about in terms of popularity. I just want to shout out Rati Gupta, our friend and former podcast co-host for other yeah. shows that we've had, because she used to bring me jars of potbelly every time she uh, the she she buy the jardinier peppers, it, right? The peppers exactly every yeah. time she'd go visit. And when I went and I got it on an actual potbelly sandwich, I had a religious experience. Oh yeah. Oh, it's well, I used, fantastic. I, I told you know I used to work at Potbelly, right? No. Yeah. Buddy. Yeah, oh, we're getting we're getting full on Chicago today. That yeah, is no. incredible. Yeah, no, I, I worked at Potbelly uh one summer, uh making sandwiches. What That's was pretty the, much the whole thing. What story. was your favorite sandwich to make? My well, um so you get a free sandwich every shift that you work. Oh, cool. Um so uh so you eat it on your break, or if for some reason you're working a short shift, um, you take it at the end of your shift. But um, I, uh, so it, it, like I would just normally get a wreck, um, but you could, you know, you can make whatever the hell you want with the stuff that's back there, Tight. right? So like some, there's some guys I work with got a wreck with chili on it. What's like, a wreck? What's on a wreck? Uh, wreck is, um, it's all four main meats. So turkey, ham, roast beef, and, um, uh, salami. Nice. Okay. And then like whatever you want on it. Yeah. 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 Uh, Swiss cheese usually, although you can substitute whatever cheese, um, and then whatever you want on it. Oh my God. I haven't had cheese in like two years, but. If oh I, yeah. I forgot you're vegan. Yeah. That's okay. But if I were to have, cause you know, vegan cheese is just one taste yeah. <laughs> because it's just made of whatever nut they have there. <laughs> An actual nut, not nut. You know what I mean? No, I know. I know. We're not doing... This is a PG film. We're not we're PG, doing we're PG. jokes today. But yeah. I loved a pepper jack. Oh, yeah. I miss pepper jack cheese. If I were to eat cheese again, it would be pepper jack cheese. On a potbelly sandwich, legitimately. It's so delicious. Yeah. No, potbelly's great. Yeah. But I would say... I would say, yeah. I mean, just because anywhere sells hot dogs. Yeah. Potbelly only sells potbelly. Right. Okay. So, and, and, and not everybody sells any hot dog. We got to go to the ones that you recommend because you like them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, back back to the movie. Back to the movie. I have One a feeling sh- we're going to be just not talking about this movie this time. 
Hey, one more Chicago reference for you. We cut back to the station. There's a billboard there for WNUA 95.5 Chicago Smooth Jazz. Hey, there's also a billboard for Second City Chicago. Second City, North and Wells, baby. Hey, y'all. Check out the ETC stage. It's a little bit cheaper. Anyways. (laughs) Oh, this is the worst. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So... Um, f- for some reason, uh, Peter Gallagher is working on Christmas, so, uh, even though he's, like, an attorney, so he, Oh, uh, yeah, plot hole. Yeah. I didn't even yeah. notice that. So he goes, and then, uh, he gets mugged, and basically Sandra Bullock, okay. like, Be- sees him. Pause, gets- pause. Does he get mugged, or do these guys just mess with his scarf and then take nothing? That is possible. <laughs> They're like, ooh, this is a nice coat. And then when they give Sandra Bullock his things later, he has all of his wallet and all the things from his bag. So <laughs> he didn't really get mugged. They just, like, spooked him a little bit. And then he fell. Uh, Another that's... plot hole. We're only, like, okay. five minutes into the film. Yeah, we're very early in the film. <laughs> but anyways, he is shoved under the tracks and knocked unconscious, oh, basically, is what happens. Peter. Right? And so... Uh, and so Sandra Bullock is like, sir, 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 you have to get out. She sees fucking orange line is coming and she's like, it's always the orange line. And yeah. she's like, sir, we gotta, we gotta get you out of here. And, and she jumps down onto the track, which you are not supposed to do, by the way. She jumps down onto the tracks, um, to save his life basically. And there is one funny line when she's trying to pick him up and pull him off the tracks where she says, oh my God, you smell good. <laughs> That was great. The cool part was is that she has amazing upper body strength because she pulled his entire body onto her and rolled away into that little crevice underneath the train track or the, what is it, the platform, and saves yeah. his life. Saved his, like, saved his life. She's a goddamn a hero. Legitimately great thing she did. He goes to the hospital, right, because she, you know, the EMTs come after that. He goes to the hospital. Um, and, uh, and he's like lying there in a coma and she's just standing outside the room and she wants, she wants to get into the room to see how he's doing. Right. Cause she obviously has some level of emotional investment, but she's not family. She's not yeah. related to the guy. Tony, her level of emotional investment is equivalent to a teenage girl looking at a poster of the Backstreet Boys and being like, <laughs> I'm going to marry Brian Luttrell. Like, right. she has created fantasies about him. Um, and, that's and that's exactly what happens, though. It's, yeah. It's, so she unfortunately she... says it out loud, and the nurse thinks that her but, saying, yeah. I'm going to marry him. Uh, I was going to marry him. <laughs> means that she's really engaged. That's the thing. I'm, I don't know how old she is in this movie, but I knew pretty young that you can't be telling everybody you're going to marry Kevin from the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Because they're going to tell you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay, first it's Brian, now it's Kevin. How many of these men did you want to marry? I wanted to marry all of them. <laughs> okay? Even Howie. Even Howie, even though he's a little lame. <laughs> it's like sister wives, but it's brother husbands. Yeah, it's backwards Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, what happens is the nurse actually lets her in because she is Peter's fiance. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And then she's like, "Wait, no, I'm not." But she can't get the words out because yeah. she's her crippling loneliness makes it impossible for her to speak words. It's hammered so hard in this movie how fucking lonely she is. <laughs> she doesn't it's... talk to anyone except the other person in her toll booth and her boss and the pot dog guy. <laughs> well, and her her Eastern European landlord who has an Italian son right. that he keeps. <laughs> 
that he that he keeps trying to uh, hook her up with, and that's Joe Jr. And we'll get to Joe. We'll Jr. get to Joe Jr. a little bit, a little bit later. I got sixty minutes carved out for Joe Jr. Um, but the family gets there. The family gets there. They're like, "Where? Where's our son? Is everything all right? He's in a coma." And uh, uh, and so they're just, you know, they're just it's christmas their holidays ruined they're shocked they just don't know what to think and and then they see sandra bullock in the room they're like wait who are you and the nurse is like that's the fiance that's his fiance and they're all like what and then immediately like i guess we're just gonna accept this is true (laughs) i was bothered by two things one that everybody accepts that this happens and two that everybody says the word fiance in a different way (laughs) there's the there's this fiance 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 it was it's too much it's very distracting i wish the director had just picked one and stuck with it uh but they all are really happy that she saved peter it's like yes she does say she saved his life which is true right and then she says and also we were going to get married (laughs) (laughs) hey it's chicago everybody's engaged in this city oh my god so everybody is confused and for some reason the family starts bringing up peter's ex-girlfriend which is his actual girlfriend the one whose last name is bacon is bacon yes and they start roasting her no pun intended because roasting some bacon because because of her name and because she's kind of a bitch and but they're doing this in front of peter's alleged new fiance which i thought was very strange and kind of rude and we're just like well i guess he didn't pick her and he picked the girl who saved his life and they are overwhelmed with emotion that she saved his life they hated his bitch girlfriend right is the other thing so what better girlfriend than one that would literally jump on the tracks to save him jump on the tracks save him and so it's like what could have been a traumatic experience for this family ends up being like a way that they meet their son's fiance or they think they meet their son's fiance right it's and, a miracle yeah it's a miracle to that and and so they just immediately just accept the lie <laughs> and are like you're part of the fa- you're in our family now yep yep and um, and Sandra Bullock is like yay and Sandra Bullock's like <laughs> I'm gonna ride this out as long as I can. And this is where we see examples of enmeshment and codependency. I didn't bring up for it. I did not bring it up for no reason. This, <laughs> it's this is the reason why we're in this pickle. <laughs> yeah, um, just a just a huge and and um, the other thing, as Nadia alluded to earlier, the grandma has a bad heart. Right. And so, um, and so at some point. Um, Saul, who is uh, Peter Gallagher's godfather, um, like takes takes Sandy B aside and says, "Look, Lucy, we're just so glad we were able to meet you because, oh my gosh, if we hadn't met you, I think Grandma would have had a heart attack just from the shock of seeing her son in the hospital. I think you saved her life. You know, I think you saved the whole family's life." Oh, <gasps> that was brutal. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of the explanation in the film for why Sandra Bullock at no point takes 90 seconds and goes just to clarify i did save his life but there's a misunderstanding and we actually don't know each other right and 
because she just hasn't had experience in a family, I guess she had no idea that there's something called speaking the truth <laughs> right. or connecting with honesty, anything like that. Um, but the lie continues on because they invite her to um, just hang out with them more and more yeah. throughout the movie. Yeah. yeah. So um, a couple, a couple things. There's a couple lines I want to call out here. So. Um, one is like they're um, hanging out in the hospital room and they're like, well, we should go home and get some rest. And the grandma says, well, I, I could always sleep anywhere. I can sleep here. I can sleep anywhere. And then Saul says, and believe me, she has. And then <laughs> the um, Peter's niece uh, goes like, way to go, Graham, from all the fucking you've done. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah that uh, was a very strange throwaway line for a PG movie. Yeah, and she doesn't actually say the fucking part, but she says everything else. Yeah, there's um, no there's no fuck words. There's uh there's a scene where Sandra Bullock is talking to Peter Gallagher's body uh by herself, and she's like, "I've never met anybody I could laugh with. I feel empty. I have a cat, and I didn't see my life going this way." Um, and then there is a scene where Sandra Bullock goes back home, and Joe Junior. Oh, uh, Joe Junior. My third favorite character in any movie we've ever uh, covered. Uh, keeps trying to hit on Sandra Bullock and is like, tomorrow night, I, uh, 8 o'clock, I got ice capades. I know a guy. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Joe Jr. So Joe Jr. is Italian for some inexplicable reason. Uh, he wears, I don't like saying the word wife beater, so he wears a white tank yeah, top. Yeah, so he wears a Dago tee. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of like a Guido type of guy. Uh, he wears the gold chains. He's got the accent. He's got the rings, you know. And he, he thinks he's got game. And he yes. thinks he's got game for Sandy. Sandra Bullock. And, uh, and he's he's clearly the comic relief, right? Yes. Like, it's just like this bumbling, uh, greasy Italian loser. <laughs> Again, <laughs> another movie where they're racist towards Italians. Tony, I'm it's so really, sorry. I don't know why it's come up <laughs> so many times. <laughs> is this is this like that Pete Holmes bit where it's like the easiest race to make fun of that nobody cares about are Italians? <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, it kind of is. Like, I think it is. Um, but, uh, and, and there one other scene before we get to, like, Christmas dinner um, is that she talks to her boss about this. Right. Um, and uh, she, her boss is like, ah, just go with it. It's a nice thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, the the funny thing is is that her voices of reason in her life are just like it's cool. Like, like yeah, it's okay. a it's a family. It's Christmas time. Like whatever, whatever. And but she's just racked with guilt. So she, I, she I, I think rightfully so. Yeah, 100%. But because she has no boundaries and no agency and no self-esteem, she doesn't think that it's okay for her to actually speak the truth, get these things off her chest because she wants to please everyone around her. This is why codependency needs to be worked on, you guys. But uh, after that all happens, uh, we see Sandra Bullock talking to Peter as he's in his coma. She confesses the truth to him. Mm. And Saul overhears because he's also at the hospital. Yes. Yeah, so now Saul is in on the lie. But Saul isn't angry. He doesn't even mention it. He, yeah. He alludes an, to it. Another another guy that's just like, eh. Yeah. So the mother of this family, very sweet, very wonderful, invites Sandra Bullock to their Christmas 
uh, party because they didn't actually get to celebrate because Peter was in the hospital. So they invite her over and she shows up in a cab. Saul's walking up to the door as well and says, you know, come sit with me on the porch as I smoke my cigar and says, if anyone hurts this family, we'd have a problem. (laughs) And Sandra Bullock is like, I feel the same way. I don't want to hurt this family. But Saul knows. And he's just like, okay. (laughs) So there's a couple, a couple things going on here. So one is, you know, when you have a big, loud, over-involved family in a movie, Mm -hmm. first question you always ask, you're like, oh, okay, are they Jewish or Italian? (laughs) And, and the answer in this case is actually both. Um, because, (laughs) Because the family is... Italian, and in fact, we see them at Catholic Mass right. uh, at one point in the film. Saul is, as as he explains in the film, he's Jewish, but basically um, the family pulled some strings with their parish to so that he became Peter's godfather at the baptism. Right, and I just want to point out, if there was more representation in media, we would also throw in the Mexican people for the kinds of family that is like this. But you wouldn't know that unless you watch like very specific John Leguizamo movies. Yeah. How many <laughs> people of color have speaking, have any lines in this film? Is there like one CTA worker? Uh, her boss and her other CTA worker. Yeah. And that's, oh, that's uh, oh, the one of the nurses. Okay. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted go... to throw it out there because, you know, a lot, a lot of people of color also have these types of families. It's not just the Italians and the Jewish people. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, no, absolutely true. Well, I mean, that's the thing. That's like, that's why my big fat Greek wedding did so well, right? Because everybody saw their family in that. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, and uh, Greek people uh, don't count as people of color, though. Neither do Italians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't get it twisted. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, my favorite part of... So first of all, she pulls up, she sees the house. And just seeing the... They're out in the suburbs. Seeing the house all lit up makes her feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, she's alone. Her mom's dead. Her dad's dead. She's alone. Yeah. She has a cat. That's it. And Joe Jr. Yeah. Um. And then uh, the other thing is that they take, my favorite thing is they take the family photos and they're like, no, Lucy, you have to be in this. And she's like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. And they also, which, which was really sweet, they gave her a gift and yes. there was this cute little scene where everybody was opening their gifts and showing how wonderful it is to be a part of a family. It, yes. it, was, it was a very well done scene. I, I could really feel that it was well rehearsed (laughs) yeah she she has her own stocking oh that was uh, so sweet yeah she's just so happy to watch a family celebrate uh christmas uh and then and then a little little bit of a plot twist can we put in some sexy music underneath this part of the podcast when we talk about bill anytime bill pullman comes up can we pull a little sexy music get a sax yeah (laughs) and then jack arrives hey uh and that's bill pullman um the people's american president that should american president bill pullman um and he uh he is inheriting the family business from peter boyle and the family business (laughs) (laughs) 
is finding people who have died taking their furniture and selling it. Right. Uh, which I'm sure is a real business, but uh, a weird one to build a movie around. You know that the person who wrote this movie had a very specific person in mind they knew yeah. that did this job because I would have never thought to have put this job in there. So yeah. interesting, so strange, and they, they peruse the obituaries to find yeah. this furniture. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyways, very clear from the outset, he's going to be the real love interest in the film. Um, and, uh, and he's, and, and, uh, what's the character's name is Jack. I'm probably just going to call him Bill Pullman. That's okay. He deserves it. Yeah. Character's name is Jack. And they're like, Jack, you got to meet Lucy. Lucy is, is, is Peter Gallagher's fiance. Uh, and and uh, she saved his life and pulled him off the tracks. And immediately, Jack is like, something seems fucked up. Wait a minute. Where has Jack been? Because it's been, I think, a couple of days since he, since the whole accident happened. So where has uh, Jack been? Do they not talk on the phone? I I don't I don't know what what Jack's deal What's is. What's going on? <laughs> um. There is another uh, cutaway scene here, which is also a little bit of a plot twist, is that we see uh, Peter Gallagher's answering machine. Mm. And who calls but his stupid bitch girlfriend. And <laughs> Jesus, Tony. <laughs> she's like, hey, Peter Gallagher, it's me, <laughs> the girlfriend your family hates. I've been thinking about it, and yes, I will marry you. <gasps> So she doesn't know he's in a coma. In fact, she's overseas. Um, but apparently he's proposed to her and she's just accepted. So plot twist there. Plot twist because we get, now we got Jack in the mix. Two plot twists in a row. You know what's coming next. We got to go to mass. <laughs> it's Sunday. It's Sunday. They're Catholic and going to mass. That's fucking Chicago, baby. Everybody's Catholic. hey yeah, and uh, in, in during mass, as we all do, we all have conversations. Yeah, just just a running mystery science theater three thousand of just what's going on in mass. Yeah, so Peter Broyles asking Bill Pullman like, "Hey, did you go to this house? Like, yeah, you check out you check out that furniture yet?" Yeah, yeah, and Bill- they're just chatting away, and then all of a sudden the subject turns to Lucy because of course. Yeah, and the mom uh, is like, "You gotta stop! You gotta, <laughs> you guys can't do this. This is the house of the Lord." The other thing, Bill Pullman doesn't want to be in the estate furniture business either. He's yeah. got he's got bigger dreams than that. As we learn, not much bigger dreams, but but bigger dreams than that. <laughs> um, and also, Grandma is a trad uh, because she's like, I liked mass better in Latin. Yeah, interesting. It's uh, very interesting the whole thing. Um, so, what happens after this? Uh, Bill Pullman starts asking questions as well. Oh, happens. Bill Pullman is hot and suspicious. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting because it's just all, it's all he's like basically stalking Lucy now to see <laughs> which parts of her story have holes in them. And rightfully so, because... Well, yeah, I mean, yes, he's correct. He <laughs> He is the, for some reason though, they're painting him out to be like a little bit of a villain, where he's like, hmm, I'm not as dumb as my family, but he goes to such lengths that make him almost unlikable to get to the truth. <clears throat> the first one asking, the first one is just asking a lot of pointed questions. Yes. 
to which uh, she gives great answers to, and then her fa- his family actually comes to her defense so that he'll yeah, stop grilling her. It's like she saved his life, ease up, but then he goes to her place and runs into Joe Jr. Starts asking him questions. Okay, Joe Jr. Ba- Joe- boundary crossing by going to her <laughs> place just to start. And then yeah. Joe Jr., the Joe greatest like, character ever. Joe Jr.'s like, yeah, I fucked her. <laughs> and he does that thing where it's like you're honking the horn. Yes, with his fist. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Pullman is like, that tracks. <laughs> For some reason. Yeah, she would fuck one of the filthy Italians. Yes, yes. <laughs> um. She also, also, speaking of boundary crossing, Lucy apparently has moved into Peter Gallagher's apartment. Uh, oh no, she finds out because he gets all of his stuff uh, given to her by a nurse, and she finds out that Peter actually has a cat, and because she's a cat lady, she has to go and feed the cat. There was a Mm. tin of cat food in there. You're right, you're right. She's like, oh my god, I, I, this cat's gonna die if I don't feed it. So she goes to his amazing apartment, which is up on like the sixty whatever floor. I'm gonna Reverse, say the sixty ninth. I'm gonna say the sixty ninth floor. Yeah, it's a sex floor. Hey now, and <laughs> and she goes in there and she can't find the cat, but she's looking around and she's like, ah, opulence. You yeah. own everything. <laughs> and guess who else is there? <laughs> Fucking Bill Pullman. He's, he's following like hiding her everywhere. behind the door, right? He's like following her into the house. She opens the door. Of course, another rom-com moment where she hits him in the door with. Yeah. Wait, she hits him in the nose with the door. Yeah. <clears throat> so she grabs a uh, some ice from the freezer and notices that there's just a bunch of Baskin Robbins in there. This is potentially product placement, right? <laughs> yes. Or is it just like a plot, something you need for the plot? No, I think it's product placement because I don't think this advanced the plot at all. <laughs> well, it was one of the questions that he asked what was his favorite ice cream. Oh, okay. So is oh. it? I don't know. Eh, Who maybe. Who knows? Um, but, it, well, that, and that's kind of to jump ahead a little bit. That's, that's what happens in the next scene is they're back at the hospital room and Peter starts grilling Lucy. Not Peter, pardon me. Um, Jack starts grilling Lucy in front of the whole family to try and expose her. He's like, what's... What's uh, his favorite of the Three Stooges? And Lucy's like, Curly? And Jack's like, damn it, Curly's everyone's favorite, which yes. is a great line. <laughs> but Very, very funny. Lucy's got an ace up her sleeve, yes. which is that Peter Gallagher only has one ball. Yeah, so uh, one of Peter's friends came to visit him in the hospital. Actually, one of his colleagues. Yeah, his co-worker, yes. They, they had played a pickup game of basketball, and he had a pencil in his pocket for some reason, and there was an accident, and Peter ended up only having one ball. Yeah. Gruesome. And, and so then they all got to look at his one ball to confirm it. Yeah, because this is the only way that they're going to know the truth. Just unbelievable! Like I this didn't, could have been a great opportunity for her to actually tell the truth. I did. I didn't. I didn't even fully think through. Like I was just thinking, like oh, it's kind of wild how far she rides this one. But all of like <laughs> the weird closeness of the family, like, yeah, really hasn't occurred to me until you laid it out. 
Yeah, so so everyone's like, I guess we got to check his junk to see that he only has one ball. So they all kind of look around at each other and are just like, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? And she and the mom is like, I, I'm his mother. I'm going to do it. That is oh, not okay. Doesn't make it okay. <laughs> Does not make it okay. And she checks and it checks out. Yeah. <laughs> so he, then Bill Pullman has no choice but to accept yeah. that Lucy is oh. a part of their lives. There's one other scene before we get into the uh, the meat of the love story. One other scene where Saul visits uh, Lucy's apartment um, to be like, <laughs> look, we got to figure out how to tell the family. And this is probably my favorite scene in the movie because it's so good. Joe Jr. has come to visit <clears throat> Lucy and Lucy, and when Saul's up there, Lucy's like, Jesus Christ, Joe Jr., just go hide in the closet or something. Hides Joe Jr. in the closet, has a conversation <laughs> with Saul where they figure out that they're how they're going to tell the family. And then, and Saul's basically like, I'll do it. Saul leaves. She goes back to her closet where Joe Jr. is, and it turns out he's a shoe guy. <laughs> he's trying on her shoes, and he fell in the closet. <laughs> trying them on. Just every movie is either there's a foot guy or there's a racist depiction of an Italian-American, and this is the one movie where we could both... <laughs> <laughs> In the same character. And, sure, and let me be clear, guys. Okay, best character any movie we've ever done, Coley Sop. Second best character, <laughs> uh, Eugene Levy in American Pie. Yes. Third best character, I think, is Joe Jr. I agree. I, I love this list. That's yeah. great. I want to get all of those guys in one room. <laughs> Just to hang out. But uh, then at the same time, Joe is still in the closet, and Bill Pullman shows up, and he's like, is it, did I just see Saul walk out? Everyone's at our house. It. Leave this poor woman alone. And he says, uh, I actually have a gift for you, an engagement gift. Not from me, from my parents. And so she just leaves Joe Jr. in her closet and they go down to his truck where he shows her a love seat that they give mm-hmm. her. Not before she doesn't notice the biggest rom-com cliche, which is the sensitive man is an artist. Yeah. He, cannot be one for he, he has other things to do. He wants to make furniture, but he's trapped being an estate furniture salesman. Mm-hmm. Yep. The most ma- specific version of this trope. <laughs> uh, I think every girl in the world has experienced a guy who is interested in her showing him I don't know, his drawings. Right, or, right, yes. Or, like, I paint, or I sculpt, or whatever the case may be. These I are make my chairs. Yeah, <laughs> he has a chair, and it's a, it's a rocking chair that reminds her of her mother, all that shit. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he confides in her that that's what he actually really wants to do. For some reason, he feels like he can trust her to tell her this deep, dark secret that he's been hiding from the rest of his family. Yeah. Um, so he tells her a secret. They they um, move a love seat into Peter Gallagher's apartment, um, and she starts opening up uh, to him. That's where uh, we get her backstory um, about her uh, how her she had to put off all her dreams because of her stupid dead dad, <laughs> and then um, they slip on the ice and fall into each other. And folks, they're they're meeting, they're cuting, uh, <laughs> and and he drops her off at her place and she's looking at him out the window and she's just so giddy and you can tell her her heart is glowing like in jane the virgin like she's just (laughs) she's just found someone that she cares about and then you see it wash over her face ah shit yeah (laughs) 
I feel like the Bill Pullman character is definitely more her type. And oh, after, definitely. After she's learning more and more about Peter, going to his apartment, all that stuff, maybe he, he's not actually her type. So she fantasized about someone and had unrealistic expectations about him. Hmm. hmm. Wonder what that's about. Hmm. Does she maybe watch rom-coms? <laughs> Um, there is a, well, fortunately, this is followed by a totally normal and healthy scene in which Bill Pullman <laughs> play, plays oh my God. An, an imaginary game of poker with his comatose brother. <laughs> like, he's playing stud poker with his brother, uh, who's in a coma, right? right? So he's just dealing his brother's hand to him for Lucy. Like, he's like, well, why don't we play for Lucy? And then Peter Gallagher says nothing because he's in a goddamn <laughs> coma. Just utter psycho shit. And well, he he tells Peter like, "Look, our family always pit us against each other, but I was never resentful toward you because I was always proud of you, and I was never jealous of your accomplishments until now." Yeah. And that's when we know that he has fallen for Lucy. Yeah. All of this, mind you, has happened in about two days. The entire the entire movie takes place between Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> the entire movie is a week of events. It's just a week. It's just yeah. one, one week. So just <laughs> um, <laughs> don't forget uh, that part. So Lucy's still coming to family dinners every night. Um, it comes out that... Uh, Jack is horny for brunettes. <laughs> that was so weird. Yeah. It's such a weird thing to talk about in front of your parents. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's like there's like a like a 16 year old girl who's in this family. I'm not 100 percent sure whose kid she is. I think she's the youngest kid. She's, she's the like youngest the accident kid. Okay. baby. She's yeah. She's, she's the, she's she's the, the surprise. me. Yeah, I am the surprise in my family. <laughs> I'm I'm eight and nine years younger than my sister's. So, okay. so I identified Surprise. with her character quite a bit. Um, so, uh, so she's there and, and, uh, she, um, and she's like, wait, Jack, no, you like brunettes. That's every woman you've ever fucked is a, is a brunette, right? Is, and, uh, and then this, this, uh, 16 year old young woman shows up at Lucy's, uh, tra- train stop. Yeah, the because there are no boundaries in this like, family. Just wanted to say hi. This is my buddy. I uh, heard you were working a shift today. Um, and uh, and then says, and, you know, we're just so excited for you to get married. And Lucy's co-worker in the booth with her is like, wait, what the hell? <laughs> 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 She's like, oh, my gosh. And then the girls have to catch the train. And as they're about to leave, the girl asks, rightfully so, you're getting married so quickly, are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? And Lucy, sarcastic, clearly sarcastically, says, yeah, I'm pregnant. Which the girl hears. <laughs> and her eyes widen because yeah. she hears what she thinks is the new twist in the plot. Oh and goes and tells. And so this girl, she's actually one of the actresses that is in on Undeclared. Do you remember that show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's one of the roommates. I really love her. She's a great actress. Uh, she runs into her family's home and is like, Lucy's, Lucy's pregnant. pregnant. And Bill Pullman takes off. Heart is shattered. <laughs> he takes the fuck off and he wants to know what the hell is going on. Uh, and so he actually drives to Lucy's house. This is New Year's, by the way. Yes. 
<laughs> he drives to Lucy's house because he wants to get a straight story. Like, what is the deal? I need to know for some reason. And uh, Lucy's on her way to a New Year's party. Yeah. And uh, she also runs into Joe Jr. at this point, and he agrees to back off. He's like, I get it. It's the other guy. You look at him like you just seen your first Trans Am, thus <laughs> justifying the joke I made Thank at you. the beginning of the episode. Sorry, sorry. Is this the part where Bill, Bill Pullman talks about leaning, or is that after? Oh, fuck. Where, where is leaning? That was after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay. Okay. So then they go to, this movie is just so convoluted. Then they go to the New Year's party and Bill Pullman is just like really trying to get some answers out of Sandra Bullock. He's yeah. just like. And it's a party with like uh, her coworkers, right? It's like a yeah. CTA party. Yeah. And there's a lot of people. It's a house party. I've mm-hmm. never been inside of a real house in Chicago. So I'm imagining it's beautiful. They're very narrow. Uh, Ah, okay. So there's a lot of people in there. And he's asking her not a straightforward question because in this movie, no one knows how to communicate. Nothing is straightforward. So he is saying like, you know, oh, are you, are you going to be like working? Like how are things going to work? Like very leading questions about uh, her being pregnant. Yeah. Just not, are you pregnant? Right. And then eventually she pours herself a drink because she's had it with Bill Pullman. And then he says, are you sure you want to drink that? Because it's not good for the baby. And at that moment, the music, music has died down. cuts out. Yeah. <laughs> classic retro- record scratch. <laughs> and she's fucked. <laughs> her, her lie gets even deeper. Um, so now speaking of how deep this lie is going to get, Peter Gallagher wakes up. Oh! So while she's at the party, Peter Gallagher wakes up and he sees that a lot of time has passed and it's New Year's and his heart monitor goes nuts. Yeah. Cut like... two. <laughs> the heart of Bill Pullman going nuts because he realized that Sandra Bullock is actually not pregnant. He's having a good time with her, walking her home, even though he's ruined her night. And uh, also wants to know what the dealio is about with Joe Jr. <laughs> and she's like, you're delusional. <laughs> yeah. And there comes a time in every rom-com where for uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, it's the fern, the love fern. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. For The Wedding Planner, it's uh, Matthew McConaughey saving her from um, a rolling dumpster. But mm. there is some sort of physical, iconic scene. And mm-hmm. this is where Sandra Bullock... Uh, Sandra Bullock is being questioned by Bill Pullman about Joe Jr. Because Joe Jr. does what we call a lean. Kind of leans into her. Yeah. And so he, he, he kind of shows her what that's about. And they get really uncomfortably close. Yeah. And he's leaning into her. And they're talking about peter and it comes out that he's really surprised that peter is interested in someone like her she's not really his type but she's actually insulted by that (laughs) and makes her way i think i think think justifiably so yeah and makes her way home yeah um so peter wakes up the family comes back and they're like lucy you gotta come back too she's like oh shit and honestly my favorite shot in the entire movie is the point of view shot of peter gallagher in his bed yes because it's it's very well done but it's just him panning slowly over his family 
and just they're like we're so glad you're back and he pans past sandra bullock and then immediately snaps back <laughs> to sandra bullock and is like I- i'm sorry i'm not clear on who you are and, and sandra bullock is making that emoji face like with the <laughs> teeth gritting yeah and uh and you're like oh this is the point where it's all gonna come out and yeah. it's not because peter boyle says oh my god he's got amnesia <laughs> And Sandra, and Sandra Bullock in her head is like, okay, I guess I'm going to let this ride. <laughs> and the funny thing is that throughout the movie, everybody asks Peter so many questions uh, about just details about his life, and he knows all of them. But he has selective <laughs> amnesia. No so memory. He, he, he doesn't remember Sandra Bullock, which obviously makes Bill Pullman even more suspicious than he already is. Granted, he's also in love. Yeah. So what? what's going on with him? Yeah. And Saul, who has already agreed to break the truth to everyone while Lucy's not there in order to let Lucy off the hook, basically decides he can't do it. Yeah. And so he tells Peter Gallagher, he says, spend a day with Lucy. And if, if you don't like her, then break up with her. But you know what? She's a great woman, and you should marry her. What the fuck, Saul? It's a meshment. It is not okay. The There's no boundaries in this family. Meanwhile. I know, I know that nothing would happen in the plot if this kind of dynamic didn't exist, but maybe this shouldn't have existed. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, the real fiancé has arrived back in the States. Oh, that son of a bitch. And it's clear that she has just worked a double shift at the C-Word factory. <laughs> let that one land. So. You really let that one land. Good job, pal. <laughs> I'm very proud of that. So, the, <laughs> she, she just... Um, it, basically, what happens is... Peter Peter Gallagher fucking ends up ta- he he has this new lease on life right yeah because he almost died and so he talks to Lucy for like fifteen minutes and he's like <laughs> okay yeah she seems nice I think I'm gonna marry her she seems like a really nice person oh um, my god and his fiance like storms in yells at him and she's like I want my stuff back and he's like fine I want your nose and tits back. And that he just says no's, but uh, it, it, it's just, it's just it's this. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's this weird whole thing where it just ends, with, like, where this is all going is a wedding gets scheduled at the hospital chapel. <laughs> yeah, and before the wedding, though, you there's a scene where Sandra Bullock is trying on a wedding dress. Don't know where it came from. And she's like trying to pick out the right shoes and Bill Pullman comes to the door and he just, I think, wants to talk to her. And he comes inside and there's a very obvious symbol here where uh, before the any, like when they were all getting to know each other, she mentioned that she really wanted to go to Florence, Italy. So he brought her a snow globe of Florence. And in the background, very obviously put, was the globe that her mother gave her father because she, quote unquote, gave him the world. Now, so listeners, this- listeners, maybe just take a second, replay that segment in case it wasn't clear kind of what the symbolism was. <laughs> so obviously, Jack knows Lucy so well after three days that he brought her a very thoughtful very personalized gift before she gets married and she is just racked with guilt and also knows this is not the right move because she actually likes jack so she says because she has no backbone 
is there any reason why I shouldn't marry your brother? Like, just, just what a dick thing to put on <coughs> someone else. Yeah, I, I feel like nobody in this movie wants to take responsibility emotionally for themselves, possibly. I don't know. It's like, they both know they would be unhappy if they don't say something. They don't say anything. It's very strange. And so he says no. Just insane. And then the wedding's tomorrow. And like I said, <laughs> the entire movie takes place over the course of a week. So basically, Peter Gallagher wakes up and is like, yeah, let's do it. Can let's... you imagine if there was like a one-year time jump and she like is miserable in this relationship with Peter just... and they're actually going to get married and she's like, I've had the worst year of my life. You know, like, I, just... I don't. I don't I mean, think this would work. I, I wrote in all caps in my notes, wait, the wedding is tomorrow. How much time has passed? She's buying invitations. What the fuck is this? No, her invitation was a post-it, bro. <laughs> I cannot believe they're fast-forwarding it in such a way. Okay, well, I'll be honest. I was washing dishes when some of this was on. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so when we're at the wedding, it's at the hospital chapel. There's a nurse with a stethoscope playing the organ. There is some sort of non-denominational representative at the front of the church. And Peter looks like a douchebag because he's wearing his jacket over his uh, hospital gown. Not, mm. not even, like his sleeves aren't even on. Like yeah. it's just hanging. It's horrible. And Bill Pullman tells him that he sucks, which I loved. <laughs> um, so she basically she confesses everything at the altar yep she makes she's late to her own wedding walks very slowly in that like take one step foot feet together take one step feet together long walk of shame while she looks at every single person in that family eyes welling in tears because they're so happy that peter's finally getting married to someone actually good and then she tells them the truth and she says i'm in love with your son and they say, we know. We know. And she goes, not this one. And she points around Peter to Jack and says that one. So if, if you guys uh, have not read, Patton Oswalt's first book uh, is called Zombie Spaceship Wasteland. And uh, it came out in like 2010, maybe. There's a great chapter, which is just like a fake set of notes on a rom-com script that he wrote like it's not a real rom-com script it's like a fake set of notes and it's it's just like it was basic it's basically like this movie it's like a <laughs> bride with amnesia who only remembers her wedding when a sax player hits her in the head with a, there's like a gay best friend and his font is different in the script and the studio is like you know you can just keep the whole script in the same font <laughs> it's, that's basically what this movie is is joe jr her gay best friend uh for purposes of this let's say yes okay cool um so just the reaction shot after her confession is pretty funny there's like a a a thing that's supposed to be very sweet where she says like her life was really the one that was saved because she fell in love with the family um Uh, is it sweet (laughs) i said supposed to be sweet yeah 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 uh and then uh we get to the final scene uh of the film uh which is wait 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 before that happens, though, the son of a bitch, mother effer, <laughs> fiance runs in and is like, I object. And then the dad says, get in line. And which is a great line. And she says, he is engaged to me. 
And then another man comes in and he says, That's I right. object because I'm her husband. That's right. He and proposed we, to a married woman. He proposed to a married woman. Peter is more and more the biggest douchebag that has ever lived in Chicago. Or we're in another uh, reverse Mormon situation. Or, we, or we're in another reverse Mormon situation. I think this woman has her own rom-com going on. <laughs> She's got a whole other thing that we don't know about and we never revisit it again. <laughs> no, because there's only like two minutes left in this movie. Yeah. Um, but we cut back to the CTA stop, Randolph and Wabash, the next day. <laughs> Thank uh, you. She's just taking tokens in her uh, in her little booth. And this is, this is before, like, now I scan a card, right? But, like, right. Uh, you would have a token and you would drop a token in a little slot and the attendant would just take it. But all of a sudden... An engagement ring lands in there. Ding! Ah. Uh, and it's it's Jack, and for some reason, <laughs> his entire fucking family is with him. Just no boundaries <laughs> No at boundaries all. whatsoever. And he's like, hey, can I, can I come in? And she's like, you actually have to pay fare if I let you in. <laughs> and so he goes in, and he says, Lucy, I have to ask you a question. And then everyone in her fam- in his family is telling him how to propose. Get on your knee. It's more romantic. Shush. Like, it's just, just, it's too much. It's a lot. Um, can I tell you what I wish uh, had happened in this scene? Yes. Is she was just taking, taking tokens, token falling in, ding, ding, ding. Then all of a sudden, a dick comes in <laughs> through the slot. And it's Joe Jr. <laughs> stomach hurt oh my god and it's uh, really little <laughs> yes a tiny tiny dick tiny. <laughs> but it wasn't it was bill pullman because he's handsome and his hair is nice <laughs> and the whole family is celebrating them being engaged yeah they get after married a week they yeah again he he proposes to her like the next fucking day um <laughs> establishing shot as we head out they get married and they ride away on the orange line um, in the loop a uh, little sign on the back of the l train that says uh just married and uh and uh the narration you, comes back do you want to do you want to cover what the narration says nadia yeah so the narration is back and she says uh peter gave me the greatest gift of all for our wedding he got me a stamp in my passport we went to Florence on our honeymoon, and uh, every so often, Peter will ask me, when did you fall in love with my brother? And then she said, it was while you were sleeping. And then Sandra Bullock turns to the camera and says, now that's risky business. <laughs> when she said that last line, I personally forgot that they did that, and I just <laughs> screamed. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. It's it's just the perfect little ending for this shitty little film that I love. I love this movie. I'll probably watch this more in my life. It's so funny. This, this movie is unbelievably stupid, but probably one of the better <laughs> films we've watched. Yes. It's a classic. It's a classic in the Vasquez household. We love it. All the women. Not my dad. And... <laughs> And for good reason, Sandra Bullock is just so great and so charming. And I think they could not have made this movie if they didn't have such a great actor to 
All these great yeah. actors. Oh, really. absolutely, absolutely. Like she's, and again, I think it's the same thing that happened with the proposal. She is, <laughs> she is selling the hell out of a script that is really not very good. Yeah. Um, but she, I mean, she's good enough to make it almost work. Yes, for sure. And so uh, I am just going to close this off by adding my last hot take about all of this um this is also added on the google doc as a roman numeral (laughs) called what i wish this movie taught us i'm gonna help sandra bullock with her codependency and her tendency to be uh attracted to amesh families the best way for her to get out of these cycles of not being able to stand up for herself or even just formulate a sentence will be having good boundaries and not apologizing for them. For someone who is a people pleaser like her, it will be uncomfortable to say no to somebody or to say that you're not comfortable with something, but that feeling passes and then you eventually feel fine (laughs) because you got what you wanted. So isn't that better than just going along with something and feeling bad? Um, Especially if going along with something is marrying a different guy. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, The other thing that I wish this movie taught was the importance of self-care versus feeling sorry for oneself. I think if she had some goals in her life, um, maybe was working towards something, uh, she has no actual... um, catalyst for herself in the movie all we know is that she has a cat and she works at a toll booth but she has no other real goals except to have a family if she had anything like that i think her self-esteem might have been higher she might have been able to take care of herself a little better and speak about herself a little better than just being like i'm so lonely (laughs) which is how i i think personally a little manipulative of the people around her yeah that she you know doesn't really have any other qualities to her personality and the last thing is um this poor woman has not allowed herself to feel any joy unless other people in her life bring it to her so if there had been maybe a little bit of something where she made herself happy the only real thing we saw was her decorating her own christmas tree i think it would have given her a little bit more oomph to uh realize that life can be enjoyed even when shit is hard by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but because all lesson. of those, thank you, because all of those things were missing, I think it's very easy for somebody to fall into these kinds of patterns. Obviously, the circumstances of this are unrealistic in a lot of ways. But for anybody out there who is interested in researching codependency, attachment theory, or enmeshment, there are a lot of resources out there. But I will always say, start with Brene Brown, because it always starts with yourself. Yeah. And then also uh, watch While You Were Sleeping, like, would be another good... Yeah, <laughs> another watch good it, watch it, watch that movie with a very critical eye. Um, so let's talk about someone who watched this movie with a critical eye. Uh, one of our favorite recurring characters on the podcast, and that is, of course, Roger Ebert. Ebert the God, writing Hell for yeah. the Chicago Sun-Times. While You Were Sleeping is one of those movies that blindsides you with its charm. And I think that's a witty line, considering that Sandra Bullock would eventually (laughs) win an Oscar for The Blind Side. Do you think he was actually foretelling a prophecy? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It starts out seeming sappy and your expectations sink. 
Is everybody in this movie going to be cuddly and sort of dumb? Is every emotion and plot development going to be given a long wind-up before the pitch? Seems like it. But then a funny thing happens. While you're making up your mind that this movie's going nowhere, it starts to go somewhere. The movie, uh. yeah, the movie shot in Chicago stars Sandra Bullock, who became a star in Speed by surviving high-speed chases on a bus and a subway train, and is back in the transit system again. Okay, look. <laughs> That's very clever because we didn't make that joke. I get, I get that he had to probably pad some word count on this one. <laughs> he gets paid by the letter. I was beginning, okay, so it goes on. I was beginning to develop an intense dislike for the movie, especially after Peter is hospitalized with a movie coma, which is a <laughs> medical condition that requires him to remain unconscious for precisely as long as is convenient for the plot. <laughs> Through a silly misunderstanding, the members of Peter's family become convinced that Lucy is his fiance. Why does she allow them to persist in their misunderstanding? Because the plot depends on it. By this point in a lesser movie, I would have been squirming in my seat. But a strange thing had happened. S somehow, without my noticing, I had grown to like Lucy a lot. And now Jack was growing on me too. In fact, amazingly, I was beginning to care about the film, even though it was clearly hammered together out of completely predictable elements. There aren't many movie actors we simply like. Marilyn Monroe was one, and that quality, not sex appeal, is why she has remained such a durable memory. Side note, I think sex appeal was at least some of it. Oh, yeah. On, <laughs> on Have the you seen those titties? <laughs> <laughs> on the basis of speed and while you were sleeping, Sandra Bullock may be another. Light romantic, yeah. Light romantic comedy is one of the trickiest of all movie genres. Usually it doesn't work. The characters in While You Were Sleeping aren't as smart or quirky as the people in When Harry Met Sally or Sleepless in Seattle or Four mm. Weddings and a Funeral. Mm -hmm. And the dialogue doesn't crackle in the same way, but the movie works all the same. It's a feel-good film, warm and good-hearted, and as it was heading for its happy ending, I was still a little astonished at how much I was enjoying it. Three stars. Wow! That's a surprisingly nice review. Yeah! I think, um... I think probably closest to, to your feelings on the film. Yeah. I Now it makes me want to watch Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, we could probably do that one. Um, oh, so, so good. So good. Um, so the other thing I want to bring up, and I know we talk about it on every episode of the show, guys, but I do want to talk about Dangshini Jamdunsai, uh, <laughs> which is, of course, the South Korean soap opera that ran in 2011, uh, the name of which translates to While You Were Sleeping. Oh, yeah! <laughs> and I want to say it was a soap opera. I, I believe, I think the genre is like called K-drama because this was only on the air for six months, but there were 120 episodes, uh, which makes me think they were airing five days a week. So they, so this is the same uh, format for a um, Latin American, I'm going to say Mexican, really. So like a telenovela? Yeah. Yeah, okay. so they're only on for a short amount of time, but there are episodes Monday through Friday. Okay. And it wraps up, and then all those same actors go into a different one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, so probably something very similar then. Yeah. Um. So, like I said, the title's the same. It also hinges on a coma patient, <laughs> I would say... Uh, the similarities end there because I'm going to read the plot summary to you. Yes, okay. Okay. Oshin Yung is a hospital... And by the way, I'm going to pronounce all of these names 
exactly right, so please don't criticize me. Okay, um, okay. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher every single one. Um, Ocean Young is a, is a hospital cafeteria nutritionist with a bright personality hmm. who is happily married to Yoon Min Jun, who works in the sales department of a food company. But while giving birth, Shin Young, the nutritionist, falls into a vegetative state. Induced, what? Yeah, induced by the hospital's chief obstetrician, Go Hun Sung. Now, Hun Sung, the obstetrician, is Min Jun, the food salesman's ex-girlfriend who's still in love with him. Ew! Despite the fact that she, the obstetrician, is married to Che Hyuk Jin, who is the director of a food company and Min Jun's fucking boss. Jesus! When Hyuk Jin learns of his wife's betrayal, he plans his revenge. Uh, that's as much as Wikipedia would give me. That is absolutely <laughs> amazing, and I want to watch it. I, I first of all, commend you on the pronunci- pronunciations of the names. Good job. Thank you. Wonderful. And also, this is fucking I mean, legit. I would I mean, watch the shit out of that. It's real fucking dark. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, well, what happens to the baby? Yeah, I know, right? Um, I have to watch. Yeah, no idea where you can stream uh, any of that. Um, But uh, the other thing I want to bring up is if you do Google While You Were Sleeping South Korea, there's actually a different TV show um, that's also called While You Were Sleeping that was also uh, South Korean that came out in 2017 that is in no way related to the film and appears to be, I believe, a fantasy-like series. Oh, Um, okay. uh, So uh, just kind of keep that straight. Shout um, out yeah. to K-dramas. Yeah, shout out K-dramas. Uh, and K-pop, I know we, honestly. I know we say it every episode, but uh, shout out to K-dramas. <laughs> well, I have some Common Sense Media reviews. Only two to this time. Um, interestingly, there were more kid reviews than adult re- reviews, but I really liked the, these two specifically because they weren't fawning over... Sandra Bullock. Most of the ones were just very complimentary to Sandra Bullock. Well deserved. But these actually had uh, some good meat to the Chicago dog. Hey. Hey, hey now. Okay. Parent of a 13 year old writes This was perfect for a girl's night out with my 13 year old daughter. It was a great balance of humor and romance without being cheesy or sappy. Lucy is competent and capable and just gets in a little bit deep with. A misunderstanding. She isn't a princess who needs rescuing, just a woman looking for more familial connection. To which I say, parent of a 13-year-old, I bet your family looks a lot like this family. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, this one is my favorite because first of all, the username is take the cannolis. Hell yes. Right? Okay. Which is which is a, a reference to The Godfather, just for all of our, our listeners who aren't woke. So uh, this must mean this person watches literally every film and writes a review on this <laughs> website. So they write, ugh, what an absolutely awful, insipid film. <laughs> You'd have to be brain dead to believe this dumb plot. We're supposed to believe that Sandar Bullock... <laughs> Like a typo. Sandar. That Sandar Bullock can't get a date, or that the family is stupid to believe her lies, or that the guy would go along with the ruse and marry her even though he doesn't remember her, or that there 
that they wouldn't immediately call the police to arrest this obviously deranged stalker when they finally learn the truth. Okay, so this is, I think, a little more harsh than the movie merited. Yeah. No one with an IQ above the level of a moron should watch this movie. The amnesia episode of Gilligan's Island is more intelligent than this sentimental dreck. That was really brutal. And not deserved. I, I, I don't think, I mean, I think it's, like I said, this is one of the better films we watched. Like, Well, this guy loves The Godfather, so. Yeah. Um, well, The Godfather's a classic. Um, <laughs> I mean, 2 is, I think, a little bit better. But, uh, I mean, they're both good. The, uh, it, it's, you know, it's a PG-rated family rom-com. Like, it fits the bill on that. It's not very smart. Um but and it's, it's sweet it's and it makes a dumb you feel plot good. but the actors are working hard it seems like everybody got paid on time like <laughs> bill pullman's hair bill gave pullman's the hair. performance of its lifetime performance of its lifetime um you know it's as we as we come to the end of season two. Oh, i'm sad as we come to the end of season two as we look back do you have do you have final thoughts nadia <sighs> on the entire season I don't know, whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) I have many thoughts. The first one is I'm sad that the season is over, but I'm excited for season three. We have a lot of great things in store. We are planning to bring it back. We we do want to do a season three, and we already have ideas. And we won't be waiting 18 months for a tiny child. We are shooting for fewer than 18 months. For a tiny child to grow and say cute things. Yeah. I am very grateful to have the listeners that we have. I'm very grateful to do this with one of my very good friends. Um, very grateful that I have to watch a lot of movies that are considered classics that are actually really <laughs> shitty. Um, but more than that, I am hoping that we can get a sponsor so that I can quit my job. <laughs> uh, well, that's very sweet, all of that. Um, no, I, I uh, you know, the, the main reason why I wanted to, to do something like this was so I could spend more time hanging out with my friend Nadia. Aww. And uh, I'm glad I get to do that. Uh, again, uh, you know, I, I'm very thankful to all our listeners. I think what always uh, surprises me about this show is when I, when I was originally thinking about it, I thought we would have to do movies that were a lot older. <laughs> <laughs> i nope. didn't didn't think we'd have like multiple selections from like 2008 <laughs> or 2016 just, right or 2016 <laughs> um and that's just how fast comedy ages nowadays so yeah. um i yeah. don't there's think a, there's a lot of content out there yeah. and we hope people keep making it and we hope people keep fucking up because then that means that there's opportunity for growth I really don't think we're gonna run out of uh, of selections. Um, you know, we got at least four more Jeff Dunham specials. No. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it's it's been a blast. So uh, yeah, I'm it, gonna miss all of you. Thanks for commenting on our social media and for uh, texting us your favorite <laughs> things and tweeting us your favorite things. Um, we appreciate that we haven't gotten anything mean yet. That's really nice. That's honestly very nice. Um, we will probably, I would say, now we'll think of like stupid bullshit to put on the social media uh, when we're on hiatus. Totally. 
Okay, great. And I, I'll, like, clip some stuff from the episodes or something like that. I know you already asked me to do that, and I haven't done it yet, but I That's will. okay. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. I haven't followed up. This is a podcast of goals that are set and barely met. Look, this is a podcast that moves at its own pace, and yeah. you all need to respect that. <laughs> yeah, but I am, I am sad that this season is over, but I'm very happy with the way that it turned out. I think... Uh, I also think that we picked some really good ones, and I'm very excited we, for next year. We had ne- some, we had some season picks. Yeah, we're not gonna, um, we're not gonna post a new season next year. That's too far away, and it, there's too much bullshit going on for us not to do this very soon. Yes, true. <laughs> well, in the meantime, folks, probably should uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, thank you again for listening. It means the world to us when people enjoy what we do. Uh, we will see you next season. Yay! Bye. Yeah.